This is a Federal News Network podcast. The National Institutes of Health wasted no time in putting pandemic stimulus money to use. It launched RADx, a program to enlist industry and academia in a biomedical engineering approach to the pandemic. It stands for Rapid Acceleration of Diagnostics. Here with details, the program officer of the National Institute of Biomedical Imaging and Bioengineering, Dr. Michael Wolfson. Dr. Wolfson, good to have you on. Hi, Tom. Thanks to be here. So tell us what's going on. What is RADx all about, first of all? Well, ultimately, this is a challenge with how do we get people back into the workforce, out of their homes, and into normalcy. And the big problem here is not just the vaccines. It's how do we know who has the virus and whether they're transmissive at the moment and whether they're safe to go out in public. We've been doing diagnostic testing since the very beginning, but it hasn't scaled up as fast as we need it. We're currently at about 400,000 tests per day, and we really need to be about at 6 million. Got it. And so what are you seeking from whom in the RADx program? Well, we are seeking ideas at an early stage, at a late stage. We're trying to cover all our bases. We want to go from what we don't have to what we need. And it's not just a matter of building more of what's out there right now, the commercial technologies, because those are lab-based equipments. We want to get stuff into people's homes, into nursery schools, into nursing homes. So maybe someday a little peripheral on your smartphone that you could go like this and it would tell I'm, people can't see this. I just touch my forehead with my smartphone, but that would maybe transmit this type of information electronically. Actually, something a little closer to a pregnancy test would be the ideal, where you uh, take a little bit of spit and wipe it onto a small device. Uh, they handheld it and it changes color. It's a piece of paper. That's so, what we'd love to see. So this presupposes that there are ideas in incubation all over the country now that you might not be aware of, and you're trying to attract them to NIH through this RADx program? Absolutely, and we've had a overwhelming success in that outreach. Within one week, we had about 100 proposals in our system, and now it's been about a month later, and we have 400 full proposals. We're reviewing them. We've done a deep dive, a seven-day deep intensive evaluation of these proposals, and we're moving forward with 11 of them for now. Got it. And how does this work as a program? Are you looking for grants to give out? Is it contracting? Is it a challenge program, you know, prize challenge money? How does it all work from a program standpoint? Oh, we're using all the tools in the toolbox, frankly, because normal NIH process, it takes about a year from the time we receive a grant application to the time it gets funded. This is our deep, rigorous peer review process. Here, what we're doing is we're doing initially small supplements to some of our center grants. Ultimately, if those are successful, if they de-risk, then we'll issue some letter contracts. Got it. So right now you've got 400 things to look at. And can you just give us this broad sense of what types of things people are proposing? Are there certain buckets that they fall in that are common? Yeah, absolutely. There are a whole bunch of different buckets that are things are falling into. I think the big ones are, if we break it out, we're looking at blood, sputum, saliva, nasal swabs, fecal. Everything, every possible kind of fluid that we could possibly get access to. If it to. comes out somewhere, then they're looking at it. Yeah, absolutely. And we have been reaching out, and our proposals have come in from a wide variety of sources. I'd say about half of them are small businesses, about a quarter from academics, and the rest from startups that have been in business for less than a year, mid-sized, and large companies. Now, every time I look at a television screen and they have a story about this, there's a picture of what looks like a soccer ball covered with mushrooms, and that's their depiction of the COVID virus germ, the virus. So we know what it looks like, I guess. It's some sort of visualization of what this mm -hmm. molecule looks like or whatever a virus is, a bunch of molecules. And so what is the essential 
difficulty in understanding when it is in someone? What is the core problem here that seems so difficult to solve? Well, the core problem is that they are very, very small. And there's all sorts of other material in your body. How do you detect something that is less than a millionth the size of your entire body if it's only at a fraction of the percentage of your body? So if you only have it in your nasal passages, if you take a blood sample, it may not have shown up there yet. Part of the challenge is, are you sampling in the right place? Part of the challenge is amplify that really tiny signal. Can you detect 50 virus particles and amplify that to something that you can see in your hand? Got it. Because I imagine, and tell me I'm not a physician, but doesn't the body normally have lots of viri that are just there and benign, just like it has tons of bacteria that are there for some purpose that aren't harmful? Absolutely. And there are four circulating coronavirus viruses out there that are common in humans. They cause the common cold some of the causes of common cold. Got it. We're speaking with Dr. Michael Wolfson. He's a program officer at the National Institute of Biomedical Imaging and Bioengineering. And the NIBIB, your institute, what do you do there that this program falls under your purview? Well, so my day job is to fund research project grants, things that are more of the systems engineering direction, because most of what comes into NIH is basic research to understand a biology, understand a disease, understand its progression, understand its impact on people. But we have our small but mighty institute, NIBIB, to take what is known and turn it into therapies and cures. And my job is to do that. Got it. And so let me ask a bigger question here. Given the size and scope of this problem, and it's something we really haven't seen, you could argue, in a century in the United States. When I was a kid, they used to say, we've put a man on the moon. Why can't we solve the common cold? I don't know if people still say that, but just in this past couple of weeks, we have returned to being able to launch people at least into near-Earth orbit and maybe to the moon. Could the work being done on this germ, which you say is of a class that causes also causes the common cold, could we be on the verge for a cure to the common cold from all this? Well, that's a that's a challenge that uh, it's it's a challenge that we at NIH would like to tackle. It's a big challenge though, because part of the challenge is that we have to deal with evolution. These bacteria and viruses that cause the common cold, that cause disease, evolve, they mutate, and every time our immune system reacts, they try to get out of that. What's different about this particular coronavirus is that it seems to evolve slowly. So we should be able to eventually come up with a good vaccine that targets every aspect of it. And getting back to the question you're trying to solve, which is detecting it, basically, as it morphs, I would imagine that part of the solution to detecting has to be a agility in the algorithms used to detect such that as it evolves, whatever it is you're using to detect can keep up with it. Absolutely. You got that right. And one of the reasons that we're primarily focusing not on detecting the antibodies, which is the body's immune reaction to it, but the virus itself. Because if we detect the virus itself, then we can adapt our diagnostic tests to what exactly is happening. Most of what we're going to be funding is probably just ripping apart the DNA of the virus and looking at that code. And just getting to the issue of being a federal scientist and working in the premier research organization in some sense in medicine in the federal government and many in the nation in, in a sense, is this the biggest thing you've ever experienced? And what is the feeling in NIH right now, even though you're not all together on the campus? Is there the sense that this is something that is just way outweighs what we've done before? I think it doesn't outweigh the things we've done before. What it does is it's the immediacy of this is one moment in time. It has not happened in a century where we're called upon to deal with a global crisis. Because smoking, cancer, 
opioid addiction. These are all issues NIH is dealing with somewhere or other. And they affect millions of people in terrible ways, but it doesn't have the quality of randomness, I guess, maybe, that the COVID has. Those things that you just mentioned, cancer, addiction, those did not happen overnight. This happened effectively overnight, which is why it has sprung to prominence, why we haven't been able to drop everything. We're still doing our day jobs on top of trying to fight this pandemic. I guess the sense at NIH is that we are called to task here. We are here to do a mission, and boy, are we trying to do our best to resolve that. Dr. Michael Wolfson is program officer at the National Institute of Biomedical Imaging and Bioengineering, part of the NIH. Thanks so much for joining me. Well, thank you for having me, Tom. We'll post this interview along with a link to more information at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand and on your device. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit LiveXLive.com slash Podcast One to learn more and start your free trial.